Well, good morning. So uh, when Brian was talking about how we're not going to be serving at Scott Tay's, I just want to let you guys know, we didn't call them and go, hey, we don't want to go to your school anymore and serve you guys. Uh, they actually contacted us and said, hey, uh, we're just, we're, we're not going to have the projects for a group to come on out. And here's the thing, uh, schools, the, the, the administrators, the teachers, the, the people who are working there, they are overwhelmed. And so I just wanted to stop and, and pause in our service today and just pray for them. Uh, so if, I know we, I feel like we don't have as many in here right now, but if you're a teacher, administrator, or service personnel, would you just stand real quick? I know we got a couple. We got Shannon. We got my wife. Am I missing somebody? Okay. Yes, Diane. So uh, let's, let's pray for not just them, but man, there's so many uh, pieces and parts that are so uncertain right now. So if we could just spend some time in prayer for them, and then we'll jump into our message. Heavenly Father, as we uh, start a new school year soon, kids going back in a couple weeks, um, but our, our teachers in Putnam County and are heading back tomorrow, and there's just so much uh, uncertainty in their way. So much that they don't know whether they're going to be teaching in person or virtually or both or just not knowing how many kids are going to be in the schools or, or what's going to happen throughout the year, if they're going to have to quarantine or not. Just so many variables and so much chaos. And so God, I just pray that you would bring peace to this, this situation. God, whatever the decisions that are made by school administrators, it, it, these are not easy decisions. And people are going to be upset either way. <laughs> And so, God, I pray that you give them uh, some thick skin, but that, that, that our community would, instead of throwing stones, uh, we, we would show our care for them. The, the gateway would, would be full of people who love our schools, love our, our people in our community, um, knowing that these are just incredibly difficult decisions that they're having to make. God, we pray for protection, and, and, and we're going to spend more time praying for our students too, but uh, we, we pray for protection for our teachers and service personnel and administrators. And uh, as they're having to be around so many different people, and, and, and I know there are so many other jobs where they're around people all the time, uh, but uh, being around kids right now, it's just a scary time. But over and over in Scripture, we're told not to fear. And the only reason we, we have no fear is because we have a big God. I pray that we would trust in you, that our hope would be in you, that we don't have to fear illness or even death because we know that there is something greater in store for us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So God, again, as these teachers and as these personnel are heading back tomorrow um, and they're learning new things and they're being trained on new things and they're just uncertain of what's next, I pray that they will have their hope in, in what is certain and that is in you, that you are their rock. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, we appreciate you guys so much for what you guys are doing. Well, today we want to start a new series called Your Ten Greatest Challenges. And this is a series that's going to take us to the Old Testament book of Exodus, to the 20th chapter, and it's going to lead us on a 10-week journey through 
the Ten Commandments. Uh, So the Ten Commandments were written for God's people after they came out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. And they were written for us as well. They they represent to us our ten greatest challenges that that we'll have in our lives if we decide to follow Jesus as our Lord. But why ten? Like, why are there only ten? Well, I want to show you the explanation why. Check this out. Moses went to the mountain, and God spoke unto him. Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? Nothing, I vanished, forget it. Oh, Lord, why have you chosen me? What would you have me do for you? I shall give you my laws, and you shall take them unto the people. Yes, Lord! Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me! Oh, hear me! All pay heed! The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these fifteen... Ten! Ten commandments for all to obey! That's why there's ten. Now, you might be thinking that, you know, I, I thought the Ten Commandments were just for the Jewish people, for people in the Old Testament times. But I want to remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So the Ten Commandments were for God's people in the Old Testament times, but they are also for Christ followers. They, they, they are for Christ followers of all times because they are the basis for the rest of the law. And whether you want to admit it or not, they're also the basis for the law here in the United States. They're they're mounted outside the walls of the Supreme Court justice. But more importantly, they're the foundation for our relationship with God and with one another. They help us understand how we are to be relating to God and relating to one another. You see, God knows us. He understands us. He loves us. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that he targets these words. Even centuries before he would send Jesus to the earth to redeem us, he would target these words in a way that would help us navigate our greatest issues and challenges of our existence. So for the next 10 messages, we're going to examine how these commandments apply to us today. So I want to start, though, by just reading them in their entirety. We're going to look at Exodus 20. I just want to read them all to you. Here's what Exodus 20 says, starting in verse 1. It says, and God spoke, you know, can we, can we stand? This is like, it was probably the most, uh, well, is the most recognizable passage in the Old Testament. Uh, let's just stand as I read these. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You may be seated. So in the giving of these Ten Commandments, God was making a covenant with his people. And in order to make sense of covenants, people followed a a certain pattern that governed the content and the form of a covenant. And as the superior party, God alone then determined the content of this covenant that he was making with Israel. But in giving these Ten Commandments, he actually followed a very traditional covenant form of the time. So here's kind of the traditional pattern of a covenant. First, you would have what we call the preamble. And this was the part of the covenant that identified the two parties in the covenant. In Exodus 20, we see it's a covenant between God and the Israelites. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you, and talking to the Israelites, brought you out of Egypt. And then you you go from the preamble to the historical prologue. And so this is the, the history leading up to the creating of the covenant. And it would have been recited to prove the right of the superior party to make the covenant. So the historical prologue is also in that verse. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So God was establishing himself as the superior party. He is the one who rescued the Israelites out of their slavery in Egypt. The next section is the requirements. And these, of course, are the commandments themselves. And then you have blessings and curses. And and you probably heard them in there. Keeping a covenant brought specific rewards, but the breaking of it brought specific penalties. So in verse 5, we read, it says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. This is the curse portion. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the blessing portion. What a, what, a, what a contrast too, right? The curse to third and fourth generation, but the blessing to a thousand generations. It just shows the grace and compassion of our God. After the covenant then was agreed upon, then you would have the summary document. And this was the, the summary of the covenant so it could be easily read and it could be easily stored. And the summary document of the Ten Commandments was the stone tablets, right? In which they were inscribed upon. And then you have the storing of the document. Now, normally, two summary documents of uh, summary documents of the covenant were made, and each party would receive their copy. So, when we picture the Ten Commandments, uh, we we picture them on stone tablets, right? But most of us we picture the the commandments on part of the commandments on one tablet, and part on a second tablet, right? Like maybe one through four. I've seen I've seen one through six on one, four, you know, seven through ten on the other, and, and things like that. But, uh, and, and they're always pictured as rounded at the top. I don't know why. That's probably not how they were. They were probably just rectangular. Uh, but in fact, they, they, that may not have been how it was done. They might have actually put all of the commandments on one tablet. 
And we know there were two tablets, right? Well, it's because there would have been a copy of it. One copy would have been God's, and then the other would belong to the people of Israel. But God wanted, wanted to draw near to his people. So God asked Moses to take both copies, symbolically saying that his sacred place, God's sacred place for storing them, would be with his people. So let's zero in on this first commandment. And now let's read this one together. Exodus 2 and 20, verses 2 and 3. It will be up here on the screen. It says this. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then the first command. You shall have no other gods before me. So from this first commandment, we see our first great challenge as well. And maybe it's the greatest challenge here. And that is to let God be God. To let God be God. Now, it's significant that before God gives the first commandment, he introduces himself. So let's take a look at this, this preamble before we get into the first challenge. Because we need to understand the, the commander before we understand his commandments. So God says again, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And this is a reminder to us that the Ten Commandments are intensely personal, aren't they? It is God, this God, a particular God who is speaking directly to Moses and he's conveying a message to his people. Now, it's no secret that one of the greatest debates in our culture and in our country is a debate over values. And I'm sure you're going to get sick of hearing these debates in the next few weeks and months as we lead up to the election. But it's debated everywhere. In schools, in churches, in politics, in government, in the legal system. You know, what are your values? Where do you get your values? How does a person know what are right values and wrong values? And as a side note, even having these debates about values creates a case for the existence of God, by the way. Like we call it the moral argument for the existence of God. Basically, our, our sense of morality points us to God as a moral lawgiver. I won't dwell on this very long, but think about this. Each of us has an internal standard of morality. For example, even as outsiders to 1930s Nazi Germany culture, we intuitively know that what Adolf Hitler was doing in his genocide of 6 million Jews was wrong. It was morally wrong. We knew that what he had done was wrong, period. But where did we get this universal sense of right and wrong, of morality? If we didn't invent it, like if it transcends the realm of cultures and, and politics, if it's something we can't get away from, then what's its source? And, and the moral argument is that couldn't it be, could it be that a moral lawgiver actually knit those moral standards and the ability to, to understand and operate them into the very fabric of what it means to be human? So our values come from somewhere, but we as Christians would say they come from someone. Right? And the first thing we need to understand about the Ten Commandments is that they are a direct reflection of the character of God. That's why he introduces himself before he gives these commandments. That's, that's why there's controversy over the display of the Ten Commandments in some places in our country. Because people will say that these commandments are tied exclusively to the Judeo-Christian God of the Bible. And you know what? They're right. <laughs> they are. They come from him. They are a re- direct reflection of his nature. God is saying, this is who I am. And because this is who I am, I am calling you to live a certain way. The God you worship will shape the values that you hold. And the values that you hold will shape the lifestyle that you live. There's no separation of these two. 
We could put it into this equation. God plus values equals lifestyle. Leave this up here for a second. God plus values equals lifestyle. So so what we're seeing today is people and nations who have lost this common understanding of who God is, and thus we're losing consensus about what our values should be, and it changes the way we live, doesn't it? As a result, there are many in our culture who don't like the values of the Bible, and therefore they have to find a different God to represent them. And let me be clear, if you you want different values and a different lifestyle other than a biblical one, then you need to choose a different God. If a nation doesn't value life and chooses to abort 60 million babies, then they need to find a different God to make this equation work. Right? Because the God of the Bible won't go for that. If a nation doesn't value a biblical standard for marriage, and wants to advocate a lifestyle where you can legally marry someone of the same gender, then you got to find a different God to make that equation work because our God doesn't stand for that. If you, as an individual, want to cheat on your spouse, lie your way through life, have sex outside of marriage, slander others, gossip about them, those, those lifestyles and values demand a different God. So the search is on in our country, in our lives, for new gods that will reflect different values and lifestyles than what is offered by the one true God. And history is full of examples of civilizations and cultures and individuals creating their own gods to satisfy their own ideas of of, of what values to have and what behaviors to engage in. So rather than God creating man in his own image, we have man trying to create a God in his own image. So whether it's government, money or pleasure, we've tried to replace God with something else to satisfy our own cravings. And there's just been a marketplace of gods. So why should we listen to and follow this God, this God of the Bible? I want to offer you two reasons. The first is this, because he's God, (laughs) because he is God. When Moses received the 10 commandments on Mount Sinai, this wasn't the first time that Moses had been on this mountain. This, this was where, this same mountain is where he met God for the first time in a very personal way. You may remember that Moses had this exchange with a burning bush, right? Well, when you read about it in scripture, it says that this conversation with God and the burning, you know, in the burning bush happened at Mount Oreb. And the place in which he received the Ten Commandments was Mount Sinai. Uh, But most scholars believe that Mount Oreb and Mount Sinai are synonymous. They're the same place. So in Exodus 3, Several chapters before this, we read of how Moses at the mountain was at this mountain and God revealed his plan from from this burning bush of how God was going to rescue the Israelites, free them from slavery. And if you remember this exchange, Moses asked God, what is your name? And in Exodus 3.14, God revealed his name by saying this. God said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And then God would go on to say in verse 15 that this is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now in the original Hebrew, uh, this, this name that God revealed was written with just four letters. Our English letters would be Y-H-W-H, Y-H-W-H. The early Hebrew manuscripts didn't have any vowels. 
So scholars really don't know exactly how this was supposed to be pronounced. In some old English Bibles, you probably have heard this name before, they put an E, O, and A in between those consonants and gave the Y a J sound and gave the W a V sound. And you guys know what that would sound like? Jehovah. Jehovah. You've probably heard that, like I said. Um, the most modern scholars believe that it was probably pronounced instead of Jehovah as Yahweh. Yahweh. And it had more of a breathy sound. But this would be God's memorial name. It's the name he used with Moses. And it's the name he introduced himself with when he gave the Ten Commandments. So in our English Bibles today, when that name, Yahweh, appears in the, in the Hebrew text, because it's a holy name, our English Bibles have it written in all caps as Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps. So if you see it, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, it's not Yahweh, it's a different term. But if it's capital L-O-R-D, all caps, it is Yahweh, okay? So God is saying, I am Yahweh, or it means I am, basically, I am who I am. What does this mean to us? Well, it's simple. God is who he is. He's not who we want him to be. He's not the creation of the imagination of some ancient culture. He's not the reflection of the thoughts of Moses. He is God. He is creator and sustainer of all things. He is independent, the independent and self-existent one. He is controlled by no one and is obligated to no one. The Hebrew people were were familiar with many Egyptian gods and and other pagan gods like Baal and Dagon and, and Bel. But Yahweh, God, is making it clear that that he is not any of them. And and who worships these gods today anyway? You know of anyone who worships Baal or Dagon, right? No, no one does anymore. But God says, I am who I am. From eternity to eternity, I am God. The psalmist would put it this way. We read it earlier. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. Earlier this week, we were doing some some family devotions at my house, and we were talking about some things in Scripture that are are kind of hard to follow, and we don't always understand about God, you know. And and, and one of my daughters was sort of asking the question, why? Like, why would why would God do things like this? Why would God, you know, do do the things that He does in the way He does? You know, kind of saying, well, if I were God, maybe I would do things differently. And 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 she was kind of asking, you know, it doesn't seem very fair, does it? And I've felt like that a lot of times. I think if you haven't felt like that, maybe you haven't wrestled with some of these issues. So I asked her though, I said, you know, have you ever made up a game for your friends to play? And she said, well, yeah. I said, well, what if you made up this game and you planned it all out and you gave them the rules and they decided that your game, your rules, they were dumb and they were going to play by different rules. I said, how would that make you feel? She said, well, I wouldn't like that very much. I said, Why? Because it was my game. <laughs> I came up with the game. I came up with the rules. I was the creator of it. Well, obviously, this life isn't a game. But God is the creator. God is the creator of this life. And he came up with this design, the way it was supposed to be lived, the rules to be lived by. And as creation, we don't get to tell the creator how we should live. We, we listen to and follow the God of the Bible because he is God. But the second reason and this makes obeying him so much easier. This, this, this helps us with the questions we have. Because if we really knew this about God, if we really understood this about God, th- this, is, this is what would help. And this is what I was trying to reinforce then with my daughters. It's this, that 
that not only God is God, but God is also good. God is good. God is reminding his people that he is the one who rescued them from slavery. Like when no one else was there for them, he stepped in and saved them. When no one else was listening to their cries for help, their pain and their suffering, he was listening. God heard their cries. When they were dying in their misery, when no one saw a future for them, God was there for them and God gave them hope. Not because he had to. Again, he was, he was under no obligation to anyone, but because it pleased him to do so. And you will never be ready to embrace God fully until you reach the conclusion that God is God and that God is good. Like you may submit to his raw power, but you will never love raw power. That's why over and over in the Bible, God continually invites us into a relationship, a loving relationship. He could just make us love him back. He has that power. But that would, that would take away our freedom to choose. So centuries later, I am, Yahweh, would come in the flesh to once and, all, once and for all rescue his people. And this is how today we, we come to know this God of the Bible through a loving relationship with his son, Jesus. In the New Testament Gospel of John, Jesus identified himself as I am with seven different statements. He would say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And in each of these statements, Jesus was revealing himself as the same God who gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. And in each of these statements, though, he was also revealing his love, care, and provision for people. God is God, and God is good. So our first great challenge is to let this God be God and to put no other gods before him. The first commandment again says, you shall have no other gods before me. So how do we do that today in our lives? Let me just give you briefly three ways. First is to grow your affection for him. To grow your affection for him. Just like in your human love relationships, this means thinking about him, spending time with him, respecting him, honoring him, listening to him, getting to know him. And I got to tell you, I am convinced more and more that knowing God, and not just a head knowledge of him, but knowing his heart, knowing who he is and what he has done, knowing God will grow our affection for him. If we really knew him, we would love him. If we knew a little bit more of the depths of his love for us, the depths of his care for us, the depths of his grace to us, it would grow our affection for him. And part of growing our affection for Jesus also means saying yes to him, saying yes to following him, saying yes to obeying him, saying yes when he asks something of you. Secondly, turn from what offends him. So if if there's something you know he doesn't like, doesn't want for you, You turn from it. The the Bible word for this would be repent. What is it that breaks this first commandment? It is making things or people more important than God. And he alone deserves that number one spot in your life. And, and, And second, shouldn't even be close, by the way. But we allow so many things to jump into that position, into that number one spot. Like pride puts me in the number one spot. Hero worship Put someone else in the number one spot. Elevating work or entertainment or kids or even spouse to that top pursuit or your primary pursuit. It replaces God as number one. Disobedience 
Sinning communicates the message that, to God that, that he's not number one, that he's not Lord, that he's not king, that, that, that you're pushing him off the throne of your life. So we turn from what offends him. And then third, we subject everything to him. When God says, no other gods before me, again, what does that mean for us today? Like we don't have these false gods like they had back then. We don't worship Baal or Dagon or, or whatever. I like what one commentator suggested though. He suggested that there are several trinities of false gods. Like we may not have these statues that we bow down and worship to, but we have other gods that we worship today. And so he gave several trinities of gods, like sex, shekels, and stomach. What do these represent in your life, right? The cravings that you have. Another was pleasure, possessions, and position. These are a trinity of gods that we bow down and worship. That they go above our God. Another one, football, firm, and family. Even good things can take place of the best thing. Whatever gets the, the greatest affection in your life is getting the place before God. So when it comes to your faith and your placement of God in your life, are you simply fitting God into your schedule? Or are you giving him his rightful place in your life? which is Lord, King over all. You see, God is calling us to a commitment based on love and trust. And this is Yahweh God we are talking about. He is the only God and he is good. And he wants what is best for us. These are not meant to to push us down and keep us in our place. Again, if we understood the heart of God, he's wanting what is best for us. But these aren't the easiest. They are what is best. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. Your challenge then is to embrace God unconditionally. No ifs, buts, or wins. If we put an if or a but or a when in our following, then we've put that if, but, or when in the place of God. If we say, I'll follow you if you give me health, then we're putting health in place of God. If we say, I'll follow you, but I, I, I want you to bless my family then we're putting family in place of God. If we say, I'll follow you when I take care of this problem, then we're putting the problem in place of God. So this first commandment is a great challenge. And the more we understand it, I think the more daunting it seems. And if you think you've got this first commandment down, maybe you need to take a deeper look at it because there are a lot of other gods that are vying for top spot in our lives. Maybe they don't have a statue, but they're vying for that top spot. And this is why we need Jesus. Because we've run to those gods far more often than we'd probably want to admit. And we need this God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And we need this God who sent his son to rescue us from the slavery of our sin. Let's pray.